questions haunt every life, writes Andy Crouch. The first, what are we meant to be? The second, why are we so far from what we're meant to be? Welcome to Restoring the Soul. I'm Michael John Cusick, and this is the podcast that helps you close the gap between what you're meant to be and what keeps you from being all that. Welcome back to another episode, and this is part two of my conversation with my friend Ellen Heratunian. Ellen is a former registered nurse, as I talked about in part one of this conversation. She also holds a master's in counseling, and she's a practicing psychotherapist in the front range of Denver. Uh, she's very, very qualified and trained as a spiritual director and uh, as a teacher. She holds a certification as a spiritual director from Bennett Hill Spiritual Formation Program in Colorado Springs. She's also a graduate of the Living School of Action and Contemplation in Albuquerque, New Mexico, which is a wisdom school affiliated with Richard Rohr and his staff. And that program offers teaching in the way of Christian mystics, contemplative practices, and Franciscan theology. I've known Ellen for 24 years when we first met at Colorado Christian University. And as you heard in part one, Ellen not only knows about a deeper life in Christ and can talk richly and help inform us about centering prayer. But Ellen is someone who has a relationship with Jesus that I am just drawn to. She has long been attuned uh, to the suffering in individuals as well as the inequities within the world, and she has felt compelled to seek a way of genuine spiritual transformation within us, and I love this phrase that she uses, that might serve to connect us with and within that aching need. And of course, that aching need is within us, which is why this program is all about restoration, but that aching need is also in the world. And so Ellen's uh, paradigm is that this aching need in the world is changed as we are changed within uh, one soul at a time. And a few years ago, Ellen and her husband, Aram, who is also a dear friend of mine, they made the decision to move to a neighborhood that was closer to the margins of society so that they could be physically present as friends and neighbors to offer resources that matter to them for their own growth and journeys. And so in part two, we continue to talk about centering prayer, but some larger ideas as well. And so let's turn to that conversation now with Ellen Heratunian on Restoring the Soul. Tell me about when you first experienced centering prayer and kind of how that came about and what your journey has been like. It's hard to remember when now. I've been doing it for a number of years. But again, in entering into starting to learn about the Christian contemplatives, and there's many like John of the Cross, Teresa of Avila, uh, Julian of Norwich, modern ones such as Thomas Merton and Richard Rohr. Um, you can't be in that world very often without hearing about some of the spiritual disciplines, which includes centering prayer. Centering prayer is really the prayer of no words. And this was experienced. Um, especially good for me because um, my brain is always flying around. It's filled with words and clutter. Um, I have a little ADD, so my brain is always chattering. And what Centering Prayer does is asks you to be quiet with God, to literally let go of all of your chatter and all your brilliant thoughts, <laughs> even for a few moments, to be with God. So essentially, you set your intention to um, be with the Lord. 
Father Thomas Keating, who's up in Snowmass, um, brought this practice out to the lay people back in the 60s because it was something the monasteries had been doing for forever. Um, you set your intention to be with God, and then you choose to, as your mind jumps around, uh, the monkey mind, you choose to, instead of engaging thought, instead of um, running off with a thought, you choose to let it go. You notice it and you let it go. The, um, the goal is not to have this completely quiet brain because that will almost never happen. But the goal is to, to let go um, and just be. And in doing that, in the letting go of thought, um, we're following Jesus on his path of kenosis. You know, that passage in Philippians chapter 2 where it talks about Jesus emptying himself out of everything, even of being God. Um, that literally pouring out. We are letting go of our ego, our brilliant, brilliant minds that we're so impressed with. We're letting go of that for a bit just to be with God, emptying out. So that's the spiritual practice in that. And now we've discovered that um, neuroscience, neuroscientists are studying this practice uh, and these types of practices and their effects on the human brain and recognizing that when people learn to do this, that they often are feeling more peace because they are less easily triggered, uh, for example, by something that's upsetting or that triggers an old trauma memory or whatever. The brain somehow is able to um, have a little bit more room to um, not go immediately to that fight or flight place and um, be able to remain centered and at peace. So I found that's amazing that the ancient contemplatives knew something very healing that they wouldn't have known about scientifically for another um, 1,500 years. Yeah, we, we oftentimes use the phrase that, you know, spiritual truth makes room for and allows for scientific truth, and that's mm-hmm. a great example of that. Mm-hmm. I remember when I did uh, Centering Prayer for the very first time before I had done any training or read any books and i thought what a complete waste of time mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like okay there's 20 minutes i won't get back mm-hmm. and unfortunately uh that carried forward for many many years as i did mm-hmm. become more intentional about it so mm-hmm. there's there's something about this practice where it is not uh pragmatic or there's not an immediate payoff Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah, that's an important thing to remember, because in our culture, we're used to production. We're used to having something to show for what we do with our time. And it truly is a matter of trust, of letting go and being quiet. It's um, it's a humility, really, of kind of letting go of our, um, not only our thinking mind, but also of needing to prove or you know, show something for the time spent. It really is just a consent to be with God. It's interesting that you said uh, to prove something about our mind, because so often I will do my 20-minute sit, and my mind starts to get very active. And it might be five, six, seven, dare I say, 19 minutes out of the 20 mm-hmm. minutes. I've had that too. <laughs> where where I'm just off thinking about something or you know planning my next book or vacation or rehearsing a conversation I had with someone. And then as soon as I catch myself and I return to that place where I'm centered, then I start to evaluate, well, I'm not very good at this and I should Mm -hmm. be better at this. And what I've discovered, and I think this is the thing that probably more than anything I find transformational, is it brings me to a place, and maybe this is the kenosis that you're talking about, Mm -hmm. where I have to basically say, it's okay. Mm -hmm. All right, 19 minutes of wandering and one minute, uh, in some of, of focus on God and being present to him 
and it's okay. Mm-hmm. That there's something about uh, God in his perfect, merciful, gracious, divine mm-hmm. heart where he looks at us and he just goes, well, thanks for coming. That's what matters to me. I just like when you show up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a crucial point um, because it really is um, that it really is okay. Um, Father Keating tells us that if your mind wanders 300 times in 20 minutes, that's 300 opportunities to return to God. Um, and that's the whole point is when you finally realize, oh, I've been off creating my afternoon's list of things to do. When you choose to let that thought go, return to God, that's obedience. That's right. That's great. And he, yeah, like you, he uses the words ever so gently. You ever so gently return. In other words, self-condemnation. Um, Kicking yourself in the pants for wandering um, is not part of the prayer. It's not definitely not something that God asks of us either. It's I'm, all grace. Yeah, it's all grace. Mm-hmm. I've often used the phrase that centering prayer has the ability to shine light on my unbelief, mm. not to expose something bad about me, but to say my unbelief is when I don't trust that it's mm-hmm. actually okay for me to wander and have all these crazy thoughts, because that's what humans do, it is. right? <laughs> and belief is uh, trusting that I'm loved regardless of my performance over this Absolutely. 20 minutes. So it's this, yeah. micro, uh, this micro opportunity for salvation. Mm-hmm. It absolutely is. I mean, the um, best definition of self-esteem I've ever heard is I am what I am, which is basically I am all the wonderful things God says about me, his beloved, apple of his eye, uh, image of God. And I have a whole lot of flaws and I'm really imperfect and I am loved as I am. Um, I love that. That's it. Yeah. And I think Centering Prayer really does help us recall that and realize, ah, this really is okay. I love that. And and this is just my immaturity here, but you have (laughs) no idea how hard I'm restraining myself to not burst into a Popeye impression for, for those <laughs> who are <laughs> for those who are over fifty. I, yeah. I won't do it because there will be people I'm that will unsubscribe yeah, but, oh, from dear. the podcast. <laughs> but, okay, but I noticed too is I I beg all of my clients, both my therapy clients and my spiritual direction clients, to do centering prayer. But, um, and Father Keating warns of this too, that sometimes when we practice for a while, we notice other things coming up. Um, I remember probably about five years ago practicing Centering Prayer, and when I did, I noticed myself getting very angry. And then eventually that anger turned to tears, and I needed to take some time apart from my Centering Prayer time to listen to that. Like, what is going on? What is coming up? And it sometimes I think when we're getting um, into the habit of letting go of thought and not always using our mental constructs as a way of being in the world, uh, deeper things come forth. And that can be useful uh, to bring to your therapist, but it's also very useful to realize, oh, okay, I've been holding this down for a long time. This is something that needs to come up into the light that needs to be addressed. So in that way, it's also healing in that it kind of starts to break down some of our defenses we start to become a little bit more authentic, I think. So our busyness and our thinking and our analysis mm-hmm. uh, is, a, is a way of, I mean, it would be oversimplifying it to say that it's a, a defense mechanism or a coping strategy. But when we slow down mm-hmm. and when we give ourselves permission to be able to just empty and to return to being present to the presence of God, mm-hmm. that almost like a bobber, a fishing bobber that's held underwater, things just kind of start to rise. They definitely do, yeah. 
you know, how many how many people who have been around the church have said, you know, oh God, you know, make me like you or make me whole or teach me your ways. And when we slow down how we begin to see those things and we begin mm-hmm. to get uh, an insight that's deeper than than knowledge. Mm-hmm. So in Surfing for God, I wrote a chapter called Less is More, where I address centering prayer as a mm-hmm. way of uh, moving into freedom and recovery from addiction. But what I've discovered is it seems like there's a pretty small percentage of people who go for it because it's a big investment. What's your experience been in terms of uh, whether it's working with counseling clients or in the church or in other capacities as a spiritual director, which you do, uh, about how people struggle with this? It, as we mentioned, it is a really frustrating practice because you don't see fruit right away. I, I tell folks the people who do choose to try and invest some time into this, they will notice changes quicker. Um, it usually, I've heard maybe a month to six weeks, eight weeks or so, you start to notice a little bit more peace. But it's just a fact. If you choose to invest in this, you will benefit your whole process. Not everybody is ready, so I work really hard not to impose any guilt because that's obviously not helpful, but just as a a way of investing, um, spending less money on therapy, actually, over time (laughs) is definitely something um, that's worth doing. And doesn't Thomas Keating call it, um, at least in his book, Open Mind, Open Heart, divine therapy? Mm -hmm. He does. He even says it empties out your subconscious. I'm not sure that really happens, but I think it is the letting go of all the constructs we've had that's held things down that causes things to come forth. But it definitely is transformative. Thomas Keating was telling the story that I'd never read before that he began to really experiment with centering prayer and bringing it outside of the monastery when there were so many um, young Christians in the 1960s mm-hmm. that were embracing Buddhism. Yeah. And, and they were, he, he asked them, why, you know, don't you want to be around the church? And he said, uh, basically, their response was that Buddhism gives us um, a way to live. And the religion and Christianity that you're teaching is just telling us what to believe. And so there's something, um, even today, where there's a lot of people leaving the Christian church that are embracing uh, Buddhist practices, if not Buddhist religion, because it gives this way to live mm-hmm. and, a, and a way to be mm-hmm. in the world and to embody your faith. Mm-hmm. And definitely it gives them practices that help them get there. And then to realize that this practice has been ours. Um, there's practices that have been in our Christian tradition for centuries that, yeah, why shouldn't this come out to the lay people? Why shouldn't this be here for us as well? Um, for modern folks who are used to the more cognitive path, you know, having their quiet time and answering questions from the scripture, again, not a bad thing. Um, this is new and it feels kind of scary to have a prayer of no words. People bring up uh, fears about it. Well, if your mind is blank, aren't, isn't the enemy going to come in? It's like, well, it's really not about a blank mind anyway. But one of my teachers, Cynthia Bourgeau, who writes a book called Inner Awakening, which is on centering prayer, and that would be one that I recommend for sure. She says, when you think about that, when you are letting go of thought and it's just you and God, well, God fills that space. Uh, there's no way that anything else can get in. There's nothing outside of you can get in there. So it really is a place of safety 
with God. So it's really not about creating a blank space. That's mm-hmm. a different practice and sometimes uh, from outside of traditional Christianity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it's more about creating space for us to be present to the presence of God. Exactly. And for us to be able to do that fully, we need to not be thinking, but mm-hmm. to just exhale and to rest. Mm-hmm. And and that's a very important thing because I've almost tried to describe it to people as the opposite of a blank space. Mm-hmm. It's like the absence allows for a fullness of God's presence to be there. And we make the error, I think, again, as modern people of thinking that our brain is who we are and that all these thoughts and that God needs to be told what to do. Um, and know that the brain creates the ego, which... Um, as the contemplatives would use that word, is basically who we think we are. It's our thoughts and our emotions and our opinions and our knowledge and our dreams and memories and all that great stuff. But it's there's someone deeper than that. If our brain stopped working, there's still a soul. There's still a an immortal diamond, the preciousness of image of God. There's still something there. And that is the part that communes with God. We don't need to be engaging our thinking brain. There's other times for that, um, for sure. And it's interesting that... So much of the Bible, if you stop and look at it through this lens, and there's the word again, it talks about uh, the inmost being. Yes. And so whether it's mm-hmm. the soul or the true self, but this this deepest, deepest part of us, the core, uh, Jesus referred to it, Paul referred mm-hmm. to it, David mm-hmm. referred to it, Psalm 139, praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. Mm-hmm. And there's this idea mm-hmm. that I'm connected to God. There's, if you will, a union there from the very deepest part of who I am, which implies that it's not about what I know in my head. Exactly. And developmentally, it's moving us along the path to becoming more mature Christians. Because again, when you think about it as a child, um, all of the rules, all of the knowledge is external to the child. And they're trying to slowly absorb it. And it kind of keeps a boundary for them. But eventually, they need to internalize. The same thing with a Christian. We begin to learn all of the stuff external to ourselves over time. But eventually, we need to internalize so it's more than just the knowledge that we've kind of piled on top. It is something that it, we're taking into the, the deeper person, um, for sure. So, Ellen, if someone wants to get started or to dive deeper into Centering Prayer, where would you suggest they begin? Well, definitely any of Thomas Keating's books. He talks extensively about that. And Cynthia Bourgeau's book, as I just mentioned, it's an extremely simple practice. So you don't even need to read a book on it unless you really want to understand more um, about the history and about what's going on underneath the surface. Is that something you're interested in? But the practice itself is so simple. Um, Father Keating suggests picking a sacred word, which in and of itself does nothing, but it's just a word. You could use the name of Jesus. It can be any word. That is just a word that reminds yourself, I'm setting my intention. I'm just choosing to be here with, with the Lord, inviting God. Um, you say your sacred word, and as thoughts begin to come, you notice them. You let them pass through, and you just spend your time doing that. And when you find yourself distracted again, the sacred word resets your intention. Oops, there I go. Okay, here's my word, Jesus. I'm back, basically. And that's it. Um, they recommend 20 minutes twice a day. I don't think there's a magic formula for that, and that's it. I've uh, I've worked with clients who can only tolerate five minutes a day. And that's enough. Yeah, that's a beginning point mm-hmm. for them. And that's enough. For I sure. find that for people that are not used to sitting still or always having their their technology, that for for some people, five minutes can be frightening mm-hmm. to be still and quiet. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I find, too, for clients who have a very fragile core sense of self, a very fragile ego, that can be frightening. Often for those folks, before they're ready for the centering prayer practice, I might recommend a body practice, even just walking without music, um, but just walking outside and noticing the beauty around them, or even dance, some forms of yoga. There's body practices that we can do, contemplative hiking, labyrinths, where they're actually getting to move their body and staying present with what you smell, what you see, what you notice, what you hear. Um, The creation is perfect for these types of practices. Um, Sometimes those are easier to um, move before you move into a centering prayer that really does, it's a discipline. It's hard to do. Yeah, definitely. As you talk about the body, that's, that's something that in my practice and so many counselors because of brain science have begun to shift more there. But from a spiritual perspective, when you talked about the body and those different things, it all involves touch, taste, sight, smell, mm-hmm. sound. And that, that's that's part of how we embody spirituality. Mm-hmm. Absolutely it is. One of the Psalms says that God desires integrity in the deep places. We're talking about the deep person again, but integration, integrity um, involves all of us, which includes our physical bodies. This is part of how we experience uh, the world, um, creation. It's how we experience each other. Uh, so it's definitely part of how we experience God. In certain circles, listening prayer has become kind of popular. Dallas Willard wrote a book called Hearing God, and mm-hmm. and others have, have taught about that more recently. Centering prayer is not listening prayer. The right. goal is not to sit down and to, to hear words from God or mm-hmm. to, to get that kind of discernment. Talk about how that's different. Um, because listening prayer, there, it is definitely a discipline of hearing um, and, and receiving words, words from God and words from each other. Here, I I think it's Father Keating or someone has given a a cute story of, say, you're letting go of thought and you're choosing to be, just be present and quiet with God. And this great insight for your next book, for example, comes. um, He says, even if the Holy Mother herself, remember, these are Catholics, even if the Holy Mother herself comes, you say, not now, dear. I'm having my centering prayer time. So in other words, it really is not the time for receiving words. It's the time of being present with God. And that is a huge discipline because we love to jump to our brains and minds and start thinking and all of that. If there is something that God truly desires to say to you, God will, it will come, you know, <laughs> you can trust that there'll be the right time for that. So. So you mentioned uh, Thomas Keating's book, Open Mind, Open Heart, or maybe I did. You mentioned all of his books, mm-hmm. Cynthia Bourgeau's book, uh, Centering Prayer and Inner Awakening. Mm-hmm. And you've you've studied with Cynthia. Yes. Uh-huh. What was that like? She's a brilliant, she brilliant lady. over the top brilliant. Yes. It, it's wonderful because I can just sit and listen to her. And listening to her, just like our other teacher, Jim Finley, it's, you can't take notes. You literally sit and soak in the depth of wisdom there. And it's, it's almost like a Lectio Divina, if that's familiar to you. You're literally listening and just allowing it to have its impact on you. Um, she's um, at another level of brilliance, <laughs> for sure. I got yeah. to meet her. We flew on a—we had a flight together uh, from Denver to another city, and uh, it was delightful to meet her. She's, mm-hmm. she's just one of those people who she's so smart— Mm-hmm. I think she kind of lives on another sphere. I think she definitely does. <laughs> yeah, she's she's lovely. She's a lovely person. So, um, Ellen, thank you for sharing your heart and your knowledge. This is going to be a conversation that I think a lot of people are drawn to take that next step toward centering prayer. 
Well, thank you for having me. You've been listening to Restoring the Soul with Michael John Cusick, produced by Brian Beatty and supported by generous listeners like you. To learn more about our life-changing intensive counseling process for couples and individuals, visit RestoringTheSoul.com. You already know we live in a pornified world, but most of us are at a loss for how to navigate this sea of temptation. It's either ceaseless striving on the one hand or giving in to brokenness on the other. But doesn't the gospel offer us another way? The truth is that our sexual struggles are not actually about sex, but about a misdirected, God-given longing for deep connection. Dig deeper in my book, Surfing for God, Discovering the Divine Desire Beneath Sexual Struggle. 